Street Action. This is Reverse Redaction, a discussion in which I, Judah McNeil, talk to Ford Sues about art. And we, I guess we talk about art, we talk about life, we talk about the world in a way that we try to reverse redaction, right? What does that yeah, mean to you? Yeah, uncover stuff that's, you know, people are trying to ignore maybe in works of art. Specifically, I think it looks like we're going to go in a film direction because um, we both, you know, it's kind of a, a passion of both of ours. So, uh, yeah, I think looking at story mm -hmm. uh, from a perspective that just tries to uncover things that uh, may be overlooked or ignored intentionally or otherwise. Okay, so, yeah. Uh, ignored or uh, even obfuscated, right? Like, uh, yeah. or, or uh, tried to unwind lies, maybe. In, yeah. You know, um, Stuff that's painted over or, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess not lies, but yeah. Uh, obfuscation. I like that word. Okay, so um, today we are going to be talking about Prometheus. This is a Ridley Scott movie. He came back to pretty much take over, re take over the um, the Alien franchise, right? And uh, but it's a prequel. It uh, it's got Naomi, what's her name? Naomi Rapace, Michael right. Fassbender, Guy Pierce, Idris Elba, and Logan Marshall. Oh yeah, it's got uh, Charlize Theron too. That's right. Yep. Oh man, there's so much to talk about in this movie. Um, a lot of great actors. What um, what was your overall experience? So I watched the movie on a flight uh, when we were over on the other side of the world. We were going from India to Thailand. So my first uh, experience with the movie was not ideal. You know, watching it on a on a uh, uh, plane. You know, a lot of distractions, a lot of flight. You know, announcement interruptions and stuff like that. Uh, my exactly. daughter was my daughter was sitting next to me, so she was kind of young at the time. Uh, well, you know, younger, and yeah. uh, so I was having to block the screen a few times when it was getting a little too heated, and especially. <laughs> well, oh my we'll go ahead and do yeah. the spoiler, you know, warning now. If you haven't seen the film, I mean, it's pretty late for a spoiler warning. Uh, warning: Most people have already made their opinions about this movie. This is my attempt to convince people that. Uh, Prometheus deserves a rewatch or and a reconsideration. So uh, it deserves a rewatch, or uh, yeah, like like to watch it in a different view, right? Yeah, with a with a different view in mind. So after I watched it, like I I really the complaints most people have about that movie, I did not have them even when I watched it. Like I just uh, and you know we can get into some of those in a minute, but most people's complaints about the movie are the characters are stupid, they do dumb stuff. Uh, you know, Charlie's Throne doesn't run to the left or the right. Like you know when the when the uh, uh, ship is falling on her, uh, you know these the biologists uh, and geologists do stupid stuff. You know, like like staying around looking at the snake that's going to kill them. Um, you know, so. Uh, so I'll get into those complaints in a minute. Okay. I think those are kind of superficial concerns that you okay. can, if you're that picky about a movie, you can be that picky with any movie. Um, and right. really, honestly, any movie. Uh, so, but we'll get into that in a second. Uh, so what hit me about the movie was just just how weird it was for 
a mainstream sci-fi film, when you start off with this odd shot of an engineer, you know, the scene of an engineer being left on a planet and he drinks this black ooze and then disintegrates. Like, what is going on? That's never explained. And yeah. most movies, I mean, if you think about Blade Runner, uh, when it came out in theaters, I mean, that movie, all it was was exposition. You know, we talked about that last week. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and eventually... Ridley Scott got a chance to fix that in his director's cut and final cut. Um, but I mean, th th how ballsy is that movie that starts off with this thing is never explained and most people don't get it. So I, I was thinking about that scene, like what did that mean? And um, so it was one of those movies that I had to go like search message boards and try to figure out if anybody had some, you know, interesting things to say about it. Cause most of the movie reviews were just talking about, these superficial complaints about it being, you know, a bad sci-fi genre sci-fi movie. Like it's right. just, uh, you know, predictable and blah, blah, blah. And, and didn't make any sense. And, um, you know, characters, motivations were bad, blah, 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 plot holes. So, uh, the best thing I found was from this guy on live journal as Cavalorn is his name. And he has wrote the most extensive analysis of Prometheus. And it's just, perfect it's a perfect it's maybe one of the best things i've ever read on the internet maybe the best film criticism i've ever read uh honestly like it's it's that good like he takes it, it's simple when when you really think about it but he takes the word prometheus and says well what does prometheus mean who was prometheus well prometheus uh was one of these old myths about uh, the guy who created humanity and uh and in that myth he gave humanity fire. He gave humanity fire, which is something that made the other gods mad. So what happens to him? He gets tied up to this cliff face. And every day this bird comes, rips open his side, eats his guts. And and then his guts magically, you know, because he's, he's immortal. So this is his torment, right? Mm. So for giving humanity fire, giving humanity something that would, you know, distinguish them and help them uh, actually survive. Uh, so this is the suffering servant, you know, uh, that story predates Christ. So this is the suffering servant motif of a, of a creator, you know, being willing to go through ridiculous pain for his creation. Yeah. Um, and so he, he points out how this image of a, a life giver, uh, having a side ripped open or, you know, their abdomen ripped open, uh, this repeats, uh, throughout the film, you know, it starts off in a more metaphorical sense where this guy eats the ooze and then he disintegrates. So he's willingly dying. Why is he willingly dying? And you see his body decompose down to the subatomic level, to, you know, down to DNA. You see DNA like filtering out into the water. Mm -hmm. um, so Cavalorn is saying that this is evidence that this black ooze is not some evil substance. Um, but is actually it just reacts with the character of the person that is using it so you see at the beginning he he takes it he hesitates before he drinks it like he looks up at the ship he's kind of like this is kind of a christ moment like if it be your thy will let mm -hmm. this cup pass from me kind of thing yeah. so this and later on charlie's throne's character says to her dad says uh you know a king lives a king, a king dies. dies. That's the natural order of things. Well, mm -hmm. here's our king. Like at the very beginning, this engineer, the way that engineers create life is by dying. So he drinks this and 
his genetic material ends up becoming life on some planet. Whether it's Earth or not, we don't know, but that is the way that engineers create life. They have to die in order to create something new. And so, but the human desire to survive uh, ends up compromising things. So when they walk into the black ooze room later on, mm-hmm. she says, we've affected the atmosphere. I think Naomi's character says, you know, the atmosphere is changing. Well, yeah. you know, Cavalier points out that something more is going on than just uh, the the actual physical atmosphere changing, that this ooze is reacting to the selfishness of humankind that mm. only wants to survive. So, you know, it's not just um, Charlie Theron's father, uh, Guy, oh, Pierce's Guy Pierce. Pierce. Yeah. It's yeah. not just his character that has this will to survive, right? This is a human Wayland, sort of right? Wayland. That's right. There's this selfish desire to, to live past someone's own lifespan, uh, to not be willing to die for other people yeah. that, uh, that is changing the atmosphere in this room. And so when this black ooze starts breaking down human genetic material, it results in these savage, uh, gluttonous, you know, life preserving organisms. You know, they're all, all they're trying to do is just eat and live. So, uh, when it, you know, when it touches the Android, uh, it doesn't do anything like nothing happens, right? Like the Android is not like fully living. Right. So Mm -hmm. when he infects, uh, uh, the other scientists water with it. You know, he, he actually asked him a question. He asked the him a Tom, very interesting Tom, question. The Tom Hardy lookalike. Right. That guy. Uh, and my mind's blanking on who, what his name is, but, uh, Dr. Shaw's significant other. So yeah. he, he asked him like, what would you be willing to do, you know, to, to discover more about what's right. going he, on? He basically gets consent, right? He gets consent. That's right. He, so because he, the guy says, I'd be willing I'll, to, do to die. I'd be willing yeah. to die. Yeah. So he's like, okay. So he drops the thing into the uh, liquid and he drinks it. Well, <laughs> when he wakes up the next day, he sees something in his eye. So, and I, I think it's kind of interesting because there's just a little, tiny little bit. So what is it infecting? Well, I, my thought is, and again, they never explain this. Right. My thought is that it interacts with some, uh, you know, small organism that's inside his person. So you think about any sort of like, you know, maybe has a virus or maybe it's a small cell. But, you know, what do you think? What do cells do? Well, they're, I mean, they're trying to fight to survive. Yeah. So um, and he, you know, uh, has sex with Naomi uh, Rapace's character that night. Right. Um, and again, it's selfish, you know, comfort sex. It's not they're not trying to create a new life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what do they end up impregnating? How does she end up getting her impregnated? Well, with this sort of selfish, uh, short-term view of what human life is supposed to be rather than a dying for other people sort of life. That's the creation of the xenomorph alien. So uh, uh, Cavalorn on this blog post points out the first time you see the suffering servant motif in an actual moment is in the room when they walk into the spaceship uh, where this black ooze is kept. And there's a picture of a Promethean alien, a, a an engineer whose side is ripped open. Oh, oh and, yeah. And there's uh, something coming out of him. And so he actually screen grabs that. Like again, like they don't they don't shine a spotlight on this. Which Nobody is even, I think comments on this, you know? Yeah. And uh I mean, this is this is heavy sci-fi. This is really deep sci-fi. Uh, because they're not handing it to you on a silver platter. 
they're expecting you. I mean, the biggest clue is the title of the film, Prometheus, right? So, <laughs> yeah. And in that same room, so that's the one motif. You got this suffering servant God who's willing to die for his creation. And then on the other side, you have this weird thing. And they look up at this, see a mural of the xenomorph alien. Right. He's they like up like this. It looks like right. Christ. Yeah. And that, so the creation of the xenomorph, this is like, there's a path being, you know, put before you. You can die so that others can live. Mm -hmm. or you can try to preserve your life indefinitely and you will create this thing. And, you know, the thing that frustrates me about a lot of the uh, the complaints about this movie is, again, like, these people are stupid. Why would they do this? Well, because they don't. They live in a world in which the alien movie never existed, okay? Like, th this predates Alien, all right? Like, they, they didn't. They didn't have this because think about it. Like when Sigourney Weaver encountered the alien, the chestbuster scene that is one of the most mm -hmm. famous scenes in all of cinema history, that was a shock to them. Why was it a shock to them? Because they never saw it before. Right. You know? Like they were experiencing that for the first time. Okay. We haven't experienced that moment. I, um, I agree with you, but <clears throat> I mean, it's not like these were, you know, early humans had never experienced any kind of like scientific yeah, danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but if you if you're a naturalist, you're not a, you're not a, a weakling. You're not a coward. You know, a naturalist doesn't go to deepest darkest uh, mm -hmm. Amazon rainforest and cower from every tarantula he sees. He picks the thing up. Okay, like and this is the thing that is is that is insane to me about about that complaint because the same thing everyone complains about this movie happens in alien they go hunting around yeah. the ship for a cat like you're gonna save a cat yeah. like, oh what's happening we saw a chest buster i mean that they saw a <laughs> chest true. buster yeah and then they still go around the, the ship one real bump a doe um no like these these are explorers they're not cowards and you know we expect these explorers to be cowards i, I don't understand that that to me is well just, okay well uh, the I kind of understand it because the difference is in Alien, they set it up as these guys are goofballs, right? They're mostly soldiers. They're not. Right. They're not um, hipster uh, intelligentsia, right? They right. they they set them up as these like the just Neanderthals. Whereas right. Prometheus sets these guys up. They're all supposed to be some sort. You know, the ones that go on to the into the pyramid are supposed to be these high level intelligent scientists right they they say that like um or that's i think that's sort of um expected but they don't show that they end up being just uh really hard to connect with idiots well, yeah, I think there's a commentary in that, though, you know, because this is the problem. I mean, anybody who's worked in a corporate setting or in a government setting with people yeah. that are very high functioning has found the same attitude. And this is why this like I, this to me is is more of a commentary on us as the audience, not, you know, acknowledging reality. Like there are CEOs. OK, think about the CEO of Apple before Steve Jobs came back and took it over. Like, go back and read about that guy. Like, mm -hmm. these people get into positions of power, and they're idiots. Yeah, like, they're idiots. Sure. We've all dealt with this. And it, like, whether it's the church or the state or the business, like, mm -hmm. how, you you wonder how these people get up through the ranks. These are the highest functioning members of society with high IQs, but they do stupid stuff that's self-defeating, that destroys the company, that, you know, tanks whole bottom lines mm -hmm. that people can look at numbers and just be like, well, I think we should do this other thing. And everyone in the room is like, why? How did this guy get the decision-making capacity? So, uh, but I what, agree, what but... informs that uh -huh. is Wayland's this, this top-down idea of 
never being willing to die, never being willing to take the hit, always passing the buck. Yeah. So in that sort of system, who rises to the top? People who don't make the best decisions under pressure. Like right. Charlize Theron's character does not, you know, people are expecting her to be like an action heroine. You know, she's and at the end of the movie. Yeah. The desire for self-preservation kills itself. You know, sin mm. eats itself. And so for me, like, I don't know. I've seen people do some dumb stuff. I've seen myself do some dumb stuff. So this is a commentary on people doing dumb stuff. Like, that's what I think the film is about. And it all stems from it all stems from this desire for self-preservation at any right. I, I wouldn't say, well, uh, dumb stuff, maybe, but dumb stuff out of a sense of self uh, out of selfishness. Yeah. Right? And right. I think um, just as a uh, I, I think you always come down uh, as far as our differences, you always come down on the side of um, a lesson learned or or the the story taught, right? right? The the message, yeah. the underlying theme. Whereas I tend to come down probably more like, you know, the masses. I, I tend to come more down on the enjoyability of of the right. action and the um uh the the story as in as much as the experience. And um I, I guess my question to you is who who did you identify? Because this we we talked a little bit about this uh, when we talked about Blade Runner. Is um, I, I thought it was interesting what you said. Uh, you made some comment about how uh, it, it sort of most Hollywood movies uh, make want want you to feel like the hero, and it kind of turns that on its head. And I and I feel like this movie kind of does the same thing. And I think you like that. I don't like that. <laughs> I like to have a character that I identify with, and I want him to win, him or her. Mostly right. him because I'm him, but I, I and I want them to win. Uh, who did you identify with Naomi Rapace in this Absolutely. movie? Absolutely. I, mm. I mean, I think she's phenomenal. And mm. I, you know, I just I find this movie. I, I you know I'm surprised like more feminists don't like this movie. Yeah. You want a strong female character like she's it. And you know, people complain. Oh my gosh, this drives me nuts. People mm. complain mm. like, oh, she had a. C-section, she's running around. Well, first of all, when she's running around, she's like bend, doubling over yeah. in pain. All, right. The entire time she's doubling over in pain. Second of all, it's the friggin' future. They can fr fly to another planet for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. you think that they, they don't have a painkiller that she oh, took yeah. right after that? She staples and, and herself she, up. She stabbed herself oh. a couple of times with, you know, whatever that painkiller was. Yeah, that was. is the most inane criticism. Like we can, we can, you can, you can suspend your disbelief <laughs> at aliens and spaceships, but painkiller in the future. No, they don't have that. Like I, that's just, that's just lazy criticism right there. Well, okay. Well, the, the, I think, I think at the, uh, at, at the, I, I think it's lazy criticism. I think all that is pretty petty, but I think what people without knowing it or, or maybe with knowing it, but what really bothers me, even, even as I agree with you is that the movie tends to rely a lot on the writing for the, the flow of the action. And, and a lot of, it feels like coincidence, right? So, uh, so instead of her, like, instead of her being foiled by her pain, you know, like, because they need, the uh, narrative to proceed she just continues to keep running you, you know that kind of thing yeah, instead of know, instead I, I don't yeah, i don't know i mean i i feel like I, I find the plot all makes 
sense in that in terms of what is happening, the action that's happening, like it's this is, you know, like a lot of people, there were some critics who complained about Avengers, for instance, they said, oh, we got this one scene where they repair a ship. Wow, that's riveting. You know, like um, mm -hmm. when Iron Man has to like restart the engine. I'm like, mm -hmm. I think that that's great in an action movie where you actually have to do maintenance, you know, like I, that's I agree. I like, agree, and I and I felt like that the my my difficulty with this movie, um, I really enjoyed it. First of all, I I, I was watching it last night, um, and I was just gonna fast forward through most of it, and I ended up just watching it through because I it was it's it's a riveting movie, it but the pace just does not let up. You know, I always talk about the Forte Dulce, like I thought there should have been more like slow. Uh, irritating moments rather than this like doo -doo sexy moment all the time, you know? Right. And well, see, yeah. Okay. So my, th like the reason I brought up um, Avengers is because some people expected, you know, they want a conventional action scene. So it's like when a movie, uh, mm. you know, when a movie does something unconventional, Oh, well this is too boring. They're doing maintenance on a, on a ship or, or, mm. Oh, this is, this is unrealistic that they'd all be arguing. Okay, I'm like, what? Um, you know, you, you kind of have to take the movie on its own terms, I feel like. And I feel like in Prometheus, like you have to take the the action and the pacing on its own terms. They're awakening something in the ship. They've awakened uh, the xenomorph alien by means of this black ooze. And they've also uh, awakened the engineers. And the engineers, and, th and this is something Cavalorn hits on, uh, maybe we can you know, touch on this in just a minute, yeah. but the reason why the engineers are mad, you know, the reason why this in particular engineer is mad, uh, has something to do with humanity's treatment of one of their own. And so, uh, they say that, you know, the, the footage that they have mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, the, there's, there's obviously some crisis that happens on the ship when, because they, they see these engineers running and, right. uh, in the, in the replay, and one of them gets a head cut off. And so Cavalorn's theory is, and he you know, did some, uh, watched some interview footage of Ridley Scott. Uh, his, in Ridley Scott's alternate universe here, Jesus Christ was one of the engineers. And so they sent Jesus, because it said it happened 2,000 years ago. This footage happened from, was, was about 2,000 years ago. Well, what happened about 2,000 years ago? Well, mm -hmm. uh, Christ was crucified. So, you know, Scott being, you know, kind of a, Catholic background, a lot of Catholic sort of imagery in some of his work. Um, this mm -hmm. kind of does make sense. And so, uh, you know, Jesus Christ this, is a huge theme in this movie. Like going back yeah. and watching it, they say Jesus Christ a lot in this movie. Like, right. you know, it uses profanity, but they, you can see that it's very intentional that it's placed uh, uh, periodically throughout the movie in, in the script. So it's like Scott has taken up the panspermia idea, you know, this this idea that aliens created life on all the different planets, you know, so it's instead of God in the gaps, it's alien in the gaps, God of the gaps, it's alien of the gaps. So, mm -hmm. you know, the engineers are those creators, basically. And so when they send back one of their own, who would have been Jesus in this case, uh, the Earth decided, no, you know, we're, we're we don't need this we don't need any sort of outside intervention uh and that solidified our our fate as selfish individuals and so uh and and it looks like there's some sort of fight on the ship you know about mm -hmm. what should be done uh and some of the engineers are like maybe holding back saying no we shouldn't interact but you know why are they trying to fly to earth they're trying to fly to earth to bring the black ooze so you know what created life on earth you know when a suffering uh you know creator dies so that others can live 
uh, this same stuff when it's exposed to humans is going to create the xenomorph alien, which will just eradicate all life. So it's a biological weapon that's also a biological, uh, you know, you know, it's kind of like nuclear fusion or fission, you know, like it can be used to create or it can also be used to destroy. So, you know, and there at the end, that be, is very clear that that's what the alien's doing. Like, the, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. Although, I mean, we don't know for sure that the black stuff would have made a bunch of xenomorphs. I mean, like you said, it's kind of magic that it could have made. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure it would have made some xenomorphs, but it, it didn't make a xenomorph out of uh, a Tom Hardy lookalike guy. Uh, well, but it did turn him. It, it, did, it did start to turn him. And so, and the thing is, it's going to interact with the uh, the fundamental principle of a person. So it cuts through the BS. Like if you're not willing, uh, you know, he was he was willing to give himself because he, he was walking towards her at the end. Again, mm -hmm. you know, kind of Christ motif. He's got his arms out. Yeah. Uh, and he's asking, I mean, he's basically begging Charlie's throne just to light him up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but even still, this thing was destroying him. The Black Ooze was destroying him, and he's not as bad a guy as Whelan is, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, being willing to die for other people. Like, but it was still eating him alive. So, yeah, we do know what that stuff's going to do. It turned the one geologist guy into a f almost a xenomorph. I mean, it was, it wasn't full, he wasn't able to replicate, but he comes back to the ship and just is an absolute madman. Like, I mean, he's a superhuman. Mm -hmm. And and all he's doing is trying to kill. You know, it turned the worms that were in the dirt. Um, as soon again, it never interacted with those worms before. Mm. But as soon as the humans wa walked in, it when it touched those worms, it turned them into these disproportionately large snakes mm. that were, I mean, almost indestructible. So uh, yeah, I mean, if it if it interacts with anything, what is the fundamental of lower life forms? What is the fundamental operating feature? survival mm -hmm. eating you know you watch a bird I, when i was working on the docks this summer you see these uh herons you know they're walking around these things eat non-stop mm -hmm. you know pelican can eat five pounds of food a day or something like that think about that humans i mean we we're lucky to fit a, a pound of it and, and for you know how big we yeah. are a bird five pounds of food think about the metabolism of most creatures it's gluttony i mean it's gluttony as a way of life consumers yeah yeah um now a couple of thoughts. My first thought was the the alien at the beginning is the Christ, uh, is the he is doing this act of you know uh, whatever he he is. I feel like he is the outsider. I feel like it's hinting at some kind of. I mean, in my imagination, of course, they, they leave it up to your imagination, and I appreciate that. But in my imagination, there is a struggle. There is a disagreement within these alien life forms and or engineers or whatever they are. And uh, he decides to, he sides on the side of, of humanity and he like eats the stuff and they didn't want him to. And that's why they're, they're trying to clean up his mess or something like that. Yeah. See, I kind of like the other theory about, you know, humans went wrong at a certain point um, because I just, I, I get the feeling that again, really Scott says it doesn't have to be earth like that. That could be any, any inhabitable planet. Right. Um, that I just think this is the way that engineer, and that's why they call them engineers. Um, mm -hmm. uh, because at the, you know, throughout they left these clues, uh, of you know, the engineers pointing to the, you know, to a certain yeah. 
star system. So it's like, it's basically like when you get the technological capacity, come visit us guys. So, I mean, yeah. that's a pretty, that's a pretty kind thing to leave behind. Like that's, they're, they're encouraging their creation to come find them. So something must have changed in the course mm. of, uh, you know, the, the, after being created willingly to, uh, we're going to destroy you now. Something humans must have done something to merit destruction. And so, uh, and e even if it's not, you know, Christ as the the engineer, there's still, I mean, we have ample reason. And I think the movie is showing you what this yeah. is why humans are going to be eradicated because they're not willing to die now. And so, and, and then we have the captain and, you know, maybe the weakest characters there, like those, those other two guys are really never fleshed out, but you know, they have this one moment where all three of them, another Christ motif arms mm -hmm. out. And I, I find that moment. Great. Like uh, that's, where a, that's a, Idris Elba like crashes into the, yeah into the alien uh, right that's a true moment of and you know if the engineer had seen that he would have maybe had a how well, well okay you know these guys are they're they're kind of getting it i mean they're willing to die so that others might live i mean it's a, it's a smaller version of of uh you know dying so that others can be born you know yeah now um let's talk a little bit about Lindelof, because this this story was actually, from what I can tell, it actually the story was actually started by Spaeth. Started, uh, it was a story about Christ, I think, originally. Oh, okay. And then Lindelof came in. I think it got he Spaeth left, and Lindelof came in. And of course, to me, it's interesting because um, I think there was a lot of this tension in loss between people that wanted it to be religious and Lindelof, who was like a diehard atheist. Right. And so anyways, I think he came in and said, yeah, this whole thing about Jesus being a, you know, six foot white guy, right. you know, <laughs> semi see-through white guy, I don't think he's going to fly. Right. And, um, and turned it into more of uh, a look at selfishness and, and, um, which I think is the better artistic way to do it. Cause like it, you know, and Ridley Scott apparently even said that, that, you know, it's a little too on the nose to say that, you know, Jesus was an engineer, but right. I think you can get the same kind of idea that, you know, around that time period, humanity made a decision that in like in further entrenched short-term selfish, you know, design. Right. And, you know, and that can be applied to any time period. Like we're still dealing with that. I mean, we as humans, as individuals, uh, we as humans, as corporations or as, you know, countries or as religions, yeah. uh, uh, you know, just making decisions that destroy ourselves in, in our, in our lust for self-preservation. And so that for me, just that sentence I just said, that's mm -hmm. a perfect example of what happens to the geologist, what happens to the biologist, yeah. what happens to Whelan, what happens to a Charlie Throne's character. Like these are selfish people who are willing to throw other people under the bus, you know, let other people mm -hmm. die so that they can live. That's, that's human evil in a nutshell. What did you think about the dynamic between um, Charlie's Theron, the captain, uh, Charlie's Theron's character, and David's character? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Fassbender's character. Uh, that the tension between the daughter and son, basically, right? Like, where, where I don't know if they ever do. I don't know if she is an android or not. Oh, I guess yeah. she's not. I guess she's not. But yeah, I, I wouldn't think she is. But no, she's not. But but the fact that she, <laughs> the the crew kind of thinks she's an android, and right. and you know, and her struggle with her android brother, you know, right. 
Well, and yeah, you know, I think there's something even in that that, uh, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of layers to this movie. I mean, that's something, yeah. I, uh, and a layer that I didn't really think about, but, you know, that they even call her that, you know, or that they reference her being mechanical, you yeah. know, and she is like she, she, as a person, she has, you know, that uh, there's a temptation, I feel like even in our culture, that women should look like her, should be this sort of like, you mm. know, uh, you know, aggressive go getter, like gonna get ahead, and she is ahead, and she is the captain. But really, it's Naomi's character who's the real strong female character. Yeah, that really stands up and fights and thinks through in in a crisis. And you know, people take that for granted, like what it takes to think through in a crisis. And I don't think a mechanical person who's not in touch with their emotions, who's not in touch with um, thinking through larger life questions, you know. Uh, Naomi Rapace's character has a philosophy. She has not just a theology, but, you know, this hope that drives her forward. And Charlize Theron does not. She's mm -hmm. she's driven by ambition and frustration and bitterness towards her dad. You know, and when you're when you're a strong female character, that's that's whole operation is to beat your father, you know, like mm -hmm. or you're to, to replace try him. Yeah, replace him or you know prove something to him. Well, mm -hmm. you're not a feminist anymore because you're still you're you know that's you want to talk about the patriarchy. That's the patriarchy in a nutshell. Like mm -hmm. trying to trying to prove something to your dad. Um, so whereas with Naomi Rapace, she's looking at a you know larger father, quote unquote. Um, mm -hmm. You know something that's transcendent or at least transcendent in comparison to her. She's you know lifting her eyes higher. And, yeah, uh, that operates it her. Again, it's this tension between religion and science. Yes, and right. And I feel like there's a lot there. Like, I mean, there's a lot in this movie about this. Uh, this is a, this is a uh, you know, I, I feel like the for 10 or 15 years there, I felt very alienated by the internet community where, uh, you know, science won. You know, like just mm -hmm. stop hawking just to clear it. Uh, science has won the battle between science and religion. Uh, and, you know, you've got all these agnostics and atheists who are just and rightfully frustrated with so many problems and not just the Christian, uh, you know, but just theological or religious uh, treatment of uh, inquiry, mm. you know, and not just science, but just inquiry and ways of, you know, arriving at epistemology. And uh, there's a lot of rightful frustration on, mm -hmm. and I've, and I've, you know, a lot of times identified with the agnostic or the atheist. Uh, but this movie, I mean, Scott comes in with this very interesting faith and science sort of uh, film that that says, you know, there's more to this. And Neil deGrasse Tyson is not the end, of the, <laughs> not the end of religious civilization. I hate to break it to you guys. Like, there's yeah. a lot going on in this movie. I, I feel like this movie could have it could have easily and maybe should have been longer. It, I, it again, it goes to me. It goes back to just trying to stuff so much into i think it's like an hour and a half two hours and just does not let up you know right. and and it's hard to track all this stuff when it's just it's being thrown at you a million miles right. an hour i i like there was a lot of things that caught my attention and i'm like oh i really want to know more about this and then they go to the next thing and you know uh and and here and here's this and here's this and and um because uh two things one this whole uh, the whole theme of going back to our previous conversation can 
um, can androids have, be human, you know, right. and, and can they feel, uh, there's so many times in the movie where you see this look on Fassbender's face. It's like, well, I guess, but you know, like, woe is me. I'm an android. You hate me. I wish you could really see who I really was. You know, it, right. this feeling of almost this, it, it, it's a lot like his sister in Charlize Theron's character in which right. she wants, he wants his creator. You know, it's that, that whole dialogue where he says, what would you, what would you, uh, how would you feel if you realized your makers just made you, because he asked, he asked that guy, right. you know, like, uh, why did you make, uh, why, and how would you feel if they just said, your creators just said, we just made you because we could, you know, and, and uh, he obviously feels disappointment. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I feel like they're getting at, you know, uh, I think Blade Runner is a more, uh, what is it more focused uh or uh, developed developed version of that question but yeah. i feel like alien from the beginning has always had that mm -hmm. you know attitude towards the android or the replicant that that you know that it, it is the same question like the questions we have about our creators the question that an android would have about us mm -hmm. and uh and so yeah it you know it dips its toe into that area as well and i feel like succinctly you know encapsulate some of this i mean the moment with the android and waylon and the engineer together in this there i mean you're getting both levels of that right at one moment and you know uh cavalorn over here he he points out that the creator of both the ultimate creator pulls off the head of mm -hmm. the human's creation and then bashes um waylon's character with it like like uses it as a bludgeon like use it and uh, I mean, that's an interesting uh, metaphor there. That's an interesting yeah. metaphor. That's there's a lot in that. Yeah, and, certainly. Uh, you know, there are times I think, you know, the creator doesn't have to pick up the you know the tool of our creation to destroy us. We do it ourselves. Our you know, own devices. Our own devices. Again, like you know, I, one of my favorite sayings, and I don't really know who coined this, but it shows up a lot in George McDonald's work, who is. Uh, you know, fantasy author that kind of rebirthed the fantasy movement uh, mm -hmm. in this more Western motif, you know, using the fairy stories of, of uh, uh, Europe to uh, kind of from a more Christian, you know, Judeo-Christian post-Greco-Roman uh, way of viewing things philosophically and theologically, um, and which gave birth to all the fantasy that we consume today, Lord of the Rings, you know, C.S. Lewis's work, and by extension, uh, you know, George R.R. R. Martin. So, uh, he he has this idea. Sin eats itself, you know mm. that, and he that comes up over and over again in George McDonald's work. That we are our own worst enemy. We are the author of our own demise, and so that that's huge in Prometheus. That that, that idea. I agree, and I think you've. I mean, I never doubted that you would, but you've basically won me over. But in the end, what I'm left with is there's just way too much packed in this now that that's a good thing right I, I i love it i just i love it i love a movie that can be that it's two hours and four minutes like you said two hours and four minutes you think about how much more is crammed into this movie in a shorter period of time and i i prefer this to uh blade runner 2049 where it's just it feels too languid like and and i still feel like you know you get to the end and it's just 
you're, you're still kind of like, yeah. I mean, I like, I, of course, after last week, as I said, I do like that movie a lot and yeah. I would like to revisit it. But uh, the, I, Prometheus wins for me just because it is more compact. And for me, um, I am willing, the things I'm willing to forgive, the things I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for uh, is if the idea, like you said, if the idea, if the moral is something that, you know, when I come back to it and I say, man, I, I need to change this part of me, you know, mm. um, and the movie does it for me. I don't, I don't want my legacy to be the xenomorph alien. You know, I don't want my kids to turn into this, you know, Wayland sort of, uh, and, mm. and you just, you just see that attitude pervading, uh, capitalism, pervading nationalism, pervading culture, where it's just this self-interested, short-sighted, destroying the future, you know, strip mining attitude, you know, and yeah. just keeps coming back. Well, then that, I mean, that's perfect segue into how we're going to end these discussions. What, how can we flip that and be a positive, uh, into a positive statement? What can we be today? What are we called to be today out of this message of selfishness and sin eating itself? Right. I think we're called to be Naomi Rapace's character who at the end, you know, picks up her cross again you know and uh, keeps going like she she's gonna she's not stopping right she's, and she doesn't want to go home to comfort she doesn't but right uh, so we, we just press on towards the goal we press on towards the goal of you know illumination as sean connery's character says in indian jones the last crusade you know just that it's the the hunt uh you know the real manifest destiny should not be going over and taking over every square inch of earth, you know, and, and just for economic ends. Like the real goal should not be becoming Wayland and becoming this, you know, just a corporation that's going to eat all things in its path so that he can have eternal, you know, human life. The real goal should be throwing a life on the line to find illumination, you know, to find, mm. to connect with the transcendent, you know. Mm. So she's trying to get answers. Um, and that's what all discovery is. That's what science was supposed yeah. to be about. You know, it's not right. just to, you know, break things down to fundamentals so that we can manipulate the earth just to be, you know, according to our whims. It's it's about, you know, making a more orderly world on the one hand, but also just keeping our minds open to the possibilities, you know. And so her mm. character is a heroine of the highest order for me. And that the fact that she keeps going at the end, you know, disemboweled and all like yeah. uh, it's just uh, that's a true hero. I love it, man. <laughs> These are great conversations. I, I, uh, I want to continue to. Uh, I wish we could keep talking about this. There's so much more to. Uh, I mean, not that a lot more, but uh, there's other aspects I want to talk to you about. But we've, alas, I've run out of time, and uh, we'll continue these themes and looking at these things uh, next week. As I, I think we're going to talk about Thor, right? Maybe. Yeah. Thor and uh, do you think we can fit Thor and Stranger Things in? Maybe, maybe we'll do two. All right, two we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, right. I got to get through Stranger Things myself. But all right, well, let's go forward today uh, in in a, a you know in a Naomi Rapace type fashion, uh, unselfish and un. What would you call like? Uh, what was the word for like? Um, Undeterred, right? Undeterred, yeah, that's good. And just you know, having a vision. I was thinking of that. There's that old proverb where there's no vision, the people perish. And I think, uh, you know, she 
is a great example of someone who has vision, you know, mm -hmm. and a vision that's set on hot on on high things, not for lofty, self-important, you know, desire to to make a name for herself, but because it, I mean, it hits her at her heart. You know, she's really she's doing doing it from the heart. She has right. a vision. Excellent. All right. Well, that concludes another great episode. And for Ford Sues, my name is Judah McNeil. This has been a reverse redaction. Uh, don't forget to check out the surfing violinist, Ford's YouTube channel. And you can follow him on Twitter at Ford Like the Car. You can find these episodes on iTunes, podcasts, at Reverse Redaction. Or you can also check out thesurfingviolinist.com under Reverse Redaction. All right. Uh, see you next time.